I'm standing where the tidal shores of the River Thames in London were once used as a place of execution. This is the land of Execution Dock, where pirates were condemned to the gallows in the 15th to 19th centuries. Today, Wapping is a well-known district in East London, a short walk away from Tower Bridge and the Tower of London. This place has a rich history of pirates, explorers and sailors. But there's another fascinating story of the sea that comes from this maritime suburb in London. Wapping was the birthplace of a man whose life was hardened by obstinacy, arrogance and deliberate disobedience. After many years at sea and mastering slave ships that transported thousands of slaves, John Newton found himself depressed and totally ashamed of all he had done. Sometime later, he wrote a poem that has become the best known and most loved song in all the world. It's a heartfelt song that was written because one man's life was changed. He finally found inner peace and happiness. What changed his life? Well, we'll find out what happened in today's program, The Slave Trader, Amazing Grace. The golden age of piracy from 1650 to 1730 inspires images of buried treasure, swashbuckling jewels, and sailing the high seas. It was the age of colonial expansion and trade, and pirates roamed the seas, looting valuable cargo ships. Many pirates were experienced sailors who were either forced or chose to join the pirate ships. Some of the most famous English pirates became household names like Henry Morgan, William Captain Kidd, Calico Jack Rackham, Bartholomew Roberts, and the fearsome Blackbeard or Edward Teach. Another well-known English pirate was William Dampier. He was a privateer or a pirate who had permission from his king to attack other country ships. He was also an explorer and navigator in the late 1600s who sailed far and wide. These stairs, the whopping old stairs, lead down to Execution Dock, the site where pirates were tried and hanged by the Admiralty Court for over 400 years. The gibbet, or hanging gallows, is constructed offshore beyond the low water mark. The pirates' bodies would be left hanging on display until they had been submerged three times by the tide. It still stands here as a reminder of bygone days when pirates such as Captain Kidd faced their end here. Another famous place that is of particular interest to Australians and New Zealanders is the Bells Inn, right next to Execution Dock. The inn was run by Samuel Batts whose daughter Elizabeth married James Cook, explorer, navigator, and captain in the Royal Navy, who stayed in the inn and is most famous for his discovery and charting of New Zealand and the east coast of Australia. This dockside suburb of London on the River Thames 
has had a strong maritime character for centuries. In the 1700s, it was a place for shipwrights, sailors, mast makers, and all other trades that supported the sailors and seafarers. One of these shipmasters was John Newton Sr. And on the 4th of August, 1725, a son, John, was born to him and his wife, Elizabeth, here in Wapping. Elizabeth was religious and taught her son Christian principles and values. The family lived happily here until tragedy struck. John was nearly seven when his mother passed away from tuberculosis. He was heartbroken. John spent the next two years at boarding school before going to live with his father and his new wife at Averley in Essex. John had become undisciplined and unruly. And so at the young age of 11, his father took him to sea to start an apprenticeship on a merchant Navy ship. His first full voyage was on one of his father's ships. Newton found his father distant and aloof, and this troubled the young Newton. He made five more voyages through his teenage years until his father retired in 1742. Back on land, Newton worked in a merchant's office until he lost his job due to what was described as unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. This headstrong disobedience became the pattern of young John's behavior and lifestyle. In 1743, while on his way home from visiting a friend, he stopped at a whopping pub. He was captured and press-ganged into the naval service aboard the HMS Harwick. At this time, when a Navy ship didn't have enough sailors to operate the ship, a group of the ship's sailors would go into the nearby pubs and force the young men into working on the ship. Although Newton eventually became a midshipman aboard the HMS Harwick, he rebelled against the discipline of the Royal Navy and tried to desert. He was caught, put in irons and punished in front of the crew of 350. Newton was stripped to his waist and tied to the grating where he received a flogging of eight dozen lashes and then demoted to a common seaman. Despite this experience, he remained arrogant and insubordinate. He eventually convinced his superiors to discharge him to the Pegasus, a goods and slave trading ship bound for West Africa. Newton didn't get along with the crew of the Pegasus. And so in 1745, they left him in West Africa with a slave trader named Chloe, who owned a lemon tree plantation on an island off the coast. But Clough treated him cruelly, and he soon found himself as the slave to Clough's African mistress. She abused and mistreated Newton as much as the other slaves. Newton was now a servant of slaves. His clothes soon turned to rags. He was beaten and forced to beg for food just to survive. It was one of the lowest times in his life. Hearing of his plight, Newton's father asked a friend to search for his son. Newton was found in 1747 and began the long homeward journey to England. Off the coast of Donegal in Ireland, the ship was overtaken by an enormous storm and almost sank. Before the storm, Newton had begun reading the Bible. 
In desperation and fear of drowning, he cried out to God for help. Although he did admit later that he didn't consider himself a believer in the full sense of the word. But after this experience, he did try to avoid swearing and gambling. But surprisingly, despite his recent experiences, Newton refused to give up slave trading. He still continued to serve as a mate and then as a captain on a number of slave ships. And all this happened before he was 23 years old. The transatlantic slave trade involved the transportation of enslaved African people, mainly to the Americas, from the 16th to the 19th centuries. The Portuguese were the first to engage in this trade with a slave voyage to Brazil, and other European countries soon followed. At this time in history, these Western European countries were vying with each other to create overseas empires. Ship owners and crew regarded the slaves as mere cargo to be transported to the Americas as quickly as possible. The conditions aboard the ships were horrible and disgusting. Newton faced mounting criticism for continuing in the slave trade after professing to be a Christian. But he excused his actions by saying that slave trading was an accepted practice at that time and there were thousands of slaveholders in the colonies who were profiting from the slave trade. Newton continued in the slave trade as a ship's captain. He knew his behaviour was evil and cruel and his conscience troubled him. Newton became increasingly disgusted with the slave trade and abhorred his role in it. But even though he'd left the slave trade, he couldn't get rid of his guilt. He felt terrible about all the bad things he'd done. He just couldn't forget that he'd taken thousands of people to a life of slavery and ruined their lives forever. He couldn't forget that he showed no compassion for his cargo for these people. He chained them below the decks to prevent suicides. The slaves were laid side by side to save space, row after row, one after another, until his vessel squeezed in as many as 600 Africans. And if a slave became ill during the voyage, he was tossed overboard to prevent the infection from spreading. John Newton realised that he'd done terrible things and that he was nothing but a wretch. And he felt wretched, filled with guilt. In his desperation to find inner peace, he turned to religion and began studying the Bible along with the writings of the reformers John Calvin and Martin Luther. As he read the Bible, he made a discovery that changed his life forever. He discovered grace and it's absolutely amazing. He discovered that God doesn't stop loving you when you make mistakes and mess up, even when you're ridiculously bad and you make mistakes over and over again. God won't stop loving us. God understands our failures and He loves us anyway. That's grace. That's God's gift. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It finally dawned on Newton 
that God forgives us for the mistakes we've made, regardless of how big, bad or ugly they may be. And it doesn't matter how many times we've made the same mistake, God still forgives us completely and thoroughly. John Newton realised that God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. God hates mistakes, but He loves the people who make them. We don't deserve God's love and forgiveness, but God loves us anyway and will never stop loving us. That's God's amazing grace. It's a uniquely Christian concept and it's a theme found only in the Bible and it changed Newton's life forever. Finally, he had inner peace. His guilt was gone. You see, the Christian life isn't a mistake-free life, but it can be a guilt-free life. Newton was so overwhelmed by this amazing grace that he wanted to share the good news with everyone. A sense of service began to grow in him and Newton studied to become a minister. After several years of intense study and commitment, he quit his job in Liverpool and accepted a position as a church curate in the Anglican Church of St. Peter and Paul in Olney, Buckinghamshire. Olney is a market town about 90 kilometres north of London and is surrounded by beautiful English countryside. It's famous for its annual pancake race, which first began in 1445, when a housewife, hearing the church bell, ran outside with her frying pan, tossing a pancake so it wouldn't stick to the pan as she ran to the church. The tradition has continued ever since. And today on Shrove Tuesday each year, the women of Olney dress in a kitchen apron and headscarf like the first housewife and carrying a frying pan, flip their pancake as they run from the marketplace to the church of St. Peter and St. Paul, a distance of over 400 meters. Newton arrived in Olney in 1764 and took up his position as minister of this very church, St. Peter and St. Paul. He received a meagre wage of 60 pounds a year to live on, the equivalent of about $20,000 today. At that time, Olney was a village with a population of about 2,500 people, whose main cottage industry was lace making. They lived in the courts and alleyways off High Street. Most of the population were illiterate and poor. And sadly, as cottage industries waned during the Industrial Revolution, many of the lace makers here faced starvation. This troubled John Newton and this changed man, who in the past had treated humans as mere goods to buy and sell, now felt great compassion for those in need. He desperately wanted to help. A wealthy merchant, John Thornton, agreed to supplement John Newton's meagre stipend with an additional 200 pounds a year, so he could help the poor in the area with food and basic supplies. John soon became known for his pastoral care of the people in Olney, and also as a powerful preacher. Newton's preaching was unique at this time, as he shared many of his own struggles and experiences with his congregation. He shared with them how he struggled with the burden of guilt carried due to his involvement in the slave trade and mistakes of the past. 
He shared the peace he had found in his belief in God and the assurance he had been forgiven. Soon, many people came to hear him preach and a gallery had to be added to the church to accommodate the crowds that came to hear him speak. In 1767, three years after Newton arrived, William Cowper, the poet, moved to Olney. Cowper was one of the most popular poets of his time and is credited with changing the direction of 18th century poetry by writing about everyday life and scenes of the English countryside. For the New Year's sermon a few years later, Newton focused on the importance of expressing gratefulness to God for His love and mercy. He spoke of the New Testament stories of the prodigal son and the healing of the blind man, and ending with his own personal story of redemption and acceptance of the grace of God. He wrote a hymn to illustrate the sermon on this New Year's Day in 1773. It was a powerful personal expression of his own life's experience. He opened with the now famous words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's not known if there was any music accompanying the verses because at the time, hymns didn't have specific music connected to them the way they do today. The song was first printed in 1779 in Newton and Cowper's Olney Hymns. Newton combined 280 of his own hymns with 68 of Cowper's in what was to become the popular Olney Hymns. The most famous of these hymns was first called Faith's Review and Expectation. Although it's not known exactly how, the song made its way to the United States and it did become very popular there. It became known by the title Amazing Grace. In 1835, William Walker, an American Baptist song leader, joined the verses with the tune named New Britain, which is the melody we all know and love today. Walker's tune book of songs, Southern Harmony, was enormously popular and sold over 600,000 copies when the population of America was only around 20 million. The sixth verse of Amazing Grace, which begins with, when we've been there 10,000 years, was not written by Newton, but was added by Harriet Beecher Stowe, who used the song in her anti-slavery novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. The song, with its simple message that forgiveness and redemption are possible regardless of the sins committed, touched the heart of many of its listeners. The message that you can be delivered from your struggles and despair through the great mercy of God is a message of hope. Though a spiritual song, it even occasionally appears on popular music charts. It's estimated that it is performed more than 10 million times every year. In 1779, after 16 years at Olney, John Newton was invited to become the rector of St. Mary Walnath Church on Lombard Street, London. John became popular amongst Christians of many denominations, and many people came to hear his sermons about God and His amazing grace. St. Mary Walnoth 
is a magnificent church in the Baroque style. It's one of the beautiful Queen Anne churches designed by the then famous architect, Nicholas Hawksmoor. Today, the church is still a place of prayer and reflection. Young Christians and people struggling with their faith came to St. Mary's to speak to John Newton and seek his advice. Among them were well-known social figures, including a young William Wilberforce, a member of parliament and a philanthropist. Newton became a mentor to Wilberforce and had a great influence on him, especially regarding the evils of the slave trade. Wilberforce was seriously considering leaving politics, but Newton convinced him to remain in parliament and serve God there. Wilberforce took his advice and remained in politics. He dedicated his life to fighting the slave trade in parliament. Newton and Wilberforce collaborated in the fight to abolish slavery. And 34 years after Newton retired from the slave trade, he published a forceful pamphlet, Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade, in which he described his remorse for his involvement in this evil and cruel trade. Newton had copies sent to every MP and lived to see the British government pass the Slave Trade Act in 1807 that prohibited slave trade in the British Empire and ultimately led to the Slave Abolition Act in 1833. Plagued by ill health and failing eyesight, Newton died on the 21st of December, 1807 in London. He was buried beside his wife in St. Mary Walnoth in London, but later they were reinterred at the St. Peter and St. Paul Olney Church in 1893. And so John Newton, the slave trader, who experienced God's amazing grace, is buried here beside his wife in the churchyard at Olney. He's memorialized by his self-penned epitaph before his death. It reads, John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy near 16 years as curate of this parish and 28 years as rector of St. Mary Walnoth. John Newton described himself in one simple sentence. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. His story gives us all hope, even the greatest of sinners can ultimately and meaningfully repent and find forgiveness and inner peace. You see, God doesn't love you because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who He is and what He's done. God made you, He loves you, and that's it. Nothing changes that. He loves you as much on your bad days as He does on your good days. His love is not performance-based. God looks at you and says, I chose to love you and nothing will stop me loving you. That's grace and it's absolutely amazing. It not only forgives, it changes, transforms, rewires everyone who enters into a relationship with Jesus.
Amazing Grace is the most popular song ever written. It's sung at least 10 million times around the world every year. Behind it is a fascinating story spanning continents, cultures and centuries. It was written by a notorious blasphemer, a rebellious shipman, a slave trader. It's a message from the heart of a man whose life was changed by his belief in God a man who found inner peace and happiness through God's grace, amazing grace. If you're facing challenges in life and would like to experience God's grace and find inner peace and happiness, then I'd like to recommend the free gift we have for all our viewers today. It's the book, Steps to Christ. This book is our gift to you and is absolutely free. There are no costs or obligations whatsoever. This book has brought hope, peace and happiness to millions of people around the world. So don't miss this wonderful opportunity to receive the gift we have for you today. Phone or text 0436 333 55 in Australia or 020 422 in New Zealand or visit our website tij.tv or simply scan the QR code on your screen and we'll send you today's free offer totally free of charge and with no obligation. Write to us at GPO Box 274, Sydney, New South Wales, 2001, Australia or PO Box 76673, Manukau, Auckland, 2241, New Zealand. Don't delay, call or text us now. Dear Heavenly Father, we have all made mistakes in life and have done things that we know are wrong. We are sinners. But we are so thankful that you still love us and forgive us when we accept Jesus and are sorry for our sins. Thank you for your amazing grace that saves us even though we don't deserve it. Please make your face shine on us and grant us peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.